I want to talk to you this morning about a subject that uh, is very near and dear to my heart. It just touches me every time I read this, and that is uh, the right hand of God. And that is where Jesus is right now. He is seated at the right hand of God. I mean, he's there by the right hand of God. Jesus didn't just go up into heaven floating on a cloud and, uh, and just enjoying heaven with his Father and the Holy Spirit, but Jesus went to heaven to, to conduct a ministry that by rights, because of his sinless life, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, that he has the power and the ability to stand at the right hand of God, seated there in the place of honor and authority to pray for us. You know, sometimes we go through trouble in life, don't we? I got kind of an echo here. I don't know that is everybody's hearing that or not. It sounds really loud. So uh, if you could work on that, I appreciate that. Uh, but we have, when I go through trouble in this life, and, and we do have trouble in this life, right? And, and I don't think anybody would deny it. And I don't, I'm not somebody who thinks that every service, every sermon, every women's or men's retreat that I talk about, oh, I've just been going through such a hard time, you know. And, you know, we need to celebrate the victory that God gives us through Christ, amen? But at the same time, there are times when we have trouble and we need prayer, we need help, we need encouragement, amen? And, and you know, I like to think of that as when I have trouble and something happens is that, have you ever heard this saying in life? I know somebody in high places that can help me. I, I know somebody. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Have you ever heard that statement? Well, guess who I know? I know the king of the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth. I know the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know Jesus as my savior. I know the Holy Spirit. I know the word of God. I know the promises of God. It's not what you know, it's who you know, but it's also what you know because you need to know who you are in Christ. And we go through trouble, we have an advocate with the Father. We have someone who's praying for us. And I want to talk to you about uh, a couple of those things today. You know, taken out of Ephesians chapter 1, uh, love Ephesians. You know, Christ paid the full penalty of our sin on the cross. He was buried and then rose from the dead three days later. We who believe in him are made heirs of the kingdom, Paul tells us. Some of those riches, say riches, some of those riches are, uh, are, are, are articulated by the Apostle Paul as he prays for the believers at Ephesus, but he's also praying for us. You see, the Word of God is always relevant and true to each generation of those who trust Christ as Savior. So when I read a letter, an epistle from the Apostle Paul or Peter or Jude or John, I know that that includes me in the 21st century. Okay? It's inclusive. That's why the Word of God is so powerful, is because of its relevance to each and every person who trusts Christ in every generation of time until Jesus comes back and takes us home. Somebody say amen. Verse 15 of chapter 1 tells us this, that ever since, Paul says to the Ephesians, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere. Now, take note there, strong faith, okay? We can be strong in our faith or we can be weak in our faith depending upon whether or not we appropriate the promises of God for ourselves or not. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Are you a person of the Word? 
Because if you study the re- word, read the word, you, you, you will grow in your faith. And Jesus, those who have their strong faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for God's people everywhere. You know, I don't just love the people of Calvary Church. This is my church family. God has called me and given me to this church as the pastor for this season of time. And I love each and every one of my congregation, but I also love God's people everywhere because we're brothers and sisters in Christ because we have trusted in Him for salvation. We have been adopted into the family of God as brothers and sisters, children of the Father. Somebody said Jesus is our elder brother. He goes on in verse 16, he says, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you. Say give you. Can I tell you something? God is a giver. God is a generous giver. He is not stingy. He's not tight-fisted. He doesn't sit around holding two nickels together, holding on to them. He gives what he has to those that love him and those that he loves. He gave his one and only son to die on a cross to pay the penalty for the sins of the world of those who would receive him as Savior. He's a generous giver. God is a giver. And he wants us to be generous givers as well of our time, talent, and treasure. And Paul says, I'm asking the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that, why is he doing that? So that you might grow in your knowledge of God. You know, the scriptures tell us that God's ways are past finding out, but it sure is fun to seek out who he is. Every, every day that we live here on earth, we find out that God is deeper and higher and greater and more lovely than we ever imagined. We never get tired of seeking him out. And he wants us to grow, grow in our knowledge of God. Verse number 18, I think when we grow in our knowledge of God, we can grow in our understanding of who we are in Christ, that we have this wonderful relationship with him. Verse 18, the kicker here that I want to really deal with here, Ephesians 1.18 says this, it's on the screen above you, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. We are the inheritance of Christ. He, he got to an <clears throat> inherit us, and he is delighted with his inheritance, inheritance that he keeps us. And Paul wanted us our hearts, and he's praying, that will be flooded with light. Not just, you know, you get a picture of that. Not just light in the darkness, which is powerful. Even a candle dispels darkness around it. But when he's talking about flooding, he's talking about a lot of luminous, thousands of luminous of light. He's talking about the light of God that not only lights up a room, but dispels every speck of darkness in it. And Paul wanted our hearts to be flooded with light, with no speck of darkness, so that we can understand the confident hope that he has given to those who called him and the inheritance. Now, we also have an incredible inheritance. And this is the incredible prayer that Paul prayed for us. Paul prayed for us to fully understand the inheritance that we also have because of the finished work of Christ. And Paul's point here is that we who have trusted Christ as Savior and Lord have been given great riches and unlimited uh, resources, heavenly resources, because of the cross of Christ. So many of us who do believe, uh, uh, who don't believe, uh, many of us who believe do not appropriate 
many of the gifts that we have by faith. In other words, there's many people who are born again, who many people are going to heaven, but they are not living the full lives as heirs of the kingdom. No, God has given us things that we don't participate in, that we don't appropriate by faith. And we're living on half power, basically. Somebody says, I need power. Well, you know, plug into the source. Plug into God. Plug into the promises of God. Appropriate them by faith. You know, plug into the presence of God so that he can lift you and give you wisdom. Warren Worsby writes that too many Christians have read the bank book to find out the vast spiritual resources that God has put into their account. He's deposited in their account through Jesus Christ. And he says it's many, much like the uh, story, a true story of the newspaper uh, magnet uh, and publisher William Randolph Hearst. And William Randolph Hearst from 20th century invested a fortune, probably in today's time, billions of dollars collecting art treasures from around the world. And one day he found a description of some valuable items that he just felt, I've got to get these. I must have these in my collection. So he sent his art agents abroad to find them, and they searched and searched. After months of searching, the agent came back and gave a report to his boss and said, hey, I found those treasures you were looking for. And he said, where are they? He says, they're in your own warehouse. You bought them years ago. You know, what is the thing? William Randolph Hearst didn't even understand or know what he already had. He was wanting something that was already his. And I'm telling you, as children of God, we need to know from the Word of God and from revelation of the Spirit all the things that God has given to us so that we can appropriate them and use them in a time of need when we need them. God wants you to be rich. He wants you to know the wealth that He has already deposited into your account. Now, God's power is available to everybody who trusts Christ as Savior, uh, and, and uh, He died for us on the cross to give us this great, incredible gifts that he has for us. He raised him from the dead so that we can be participants in the resurrection who believe in him. He ascended up into heaven, the first fruits to rise from the dead and to go to heaven. And he's seated at the right hand of God. Now, there, you know, the right hand of God is, first of all, a place of authority. There's authority at the right hand of God. If there is someone sitting at the right hand of the President of the United States, that person has great authority and power. See, oftentimes we think of the presidency and the president as being the one who has all the power, but really the power of the presidency is really in those who are advising him, those who are telling him what he should do. They're the ones with the power, the power of influence. And I can tell you the right hand of God is a place of authority. It is a place of influence. What does the Scripture say in verse 20 through 23 in Ephesians 1? It says, this is the same power, when he's talking about the power of God, that he wants us to understand and realize that raised Christ from the dead and has seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand, at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And he says in verse 21, Now he is far above any ruler and authority or power or dominion or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come. God has put all things, A-double-L, all things under his authority and has made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. We are the church. It's not this building, although I love this building. It's beautiful. Somebody was in here last week dropping something off for Coats for Kids, by the way, from the Salvation Army, and she said, this is a beautiful building. It's so big. And I said, well, we like it. 
you know, we like it. And, and, uh, but that's, that's a church building. That's where the church gathers to celebrate and minister the Word of God to make disciples, to grow in faith, but also to fellowship and to bond with one another. The real church is you and me. And, he is, and, and the church is his body. We're the body of Christ. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. That's awesome, isn't it? He fills all things to himself. Now, when he talks about these four things in, in verse uh, number 21, and following, he says, says he's far above all principalities. Christ is above. What are principalities? The word principalities, according to Rick Renner uh, from the Greek, is arche, and it denotes the rulers of the highest level in the spiritual realm, but also includes, encompasses, and refers to all human rulers, including kings and politicians and presidents. It, it, it means that Paul was declaring that Christ's exalted rank at the right hand of God is far above all human rulers and angelic beings. Even fallen angels, which we refer to as demons. The natural and the spiritual realms are both under the dominion of Jesus Christ, and there is absolutely no one in any realm, whether spiritual realm or the natural, that is more highly exalted than Him. He is above all things. And that's awesome. So when you have trouble with a pest in your house, sometimes you go down to the hardware store and, and you get some some insecticide or poison or, um, or mouse poison or rodent poisoning or something like that to eliminate the pest. When we have a pest called a demonic spirit or the enemy trying to uh, d disturb us and to rob us or to lie to us, we get to call on the exterminator. His name is Jesus. Okay? He has all power. He has all authority over all the power of the devil. The devil does not have authority. He has power and it's limited. Jesus has authority over all his power. And because we belong to him, because we are, as Ephesians goes on to say, seated in heavenly realms far above all principality and power, the enemy is under our feet as well. Now, isn't that good news? That you don't have to go around like some of the old saints used to do and say, oh, the devil's been after me all week. Oh, and that's their testimony on a Sunday night service. It's like, oh, I'm so encouraged now. You know, better testimony was, man, the old devil tried to come after me, but in the name of Jesus, I took authority over him, and I rebuked him, and he fled from me because I stood my ground. Now, that's a testimony. Amen. And so, Jesus is above all principalities. And Christ is also, secondly, what does he say there in our verse there? He says, Christ is above all powers. Now, what is powers? He's referring specifically to authorities. It's from the Greek word uh, excusia. And, and the, the context of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21, this word is used to refer to people who hold public office and wield authority entrusted to them by their superiors or through election. And Paul was teaching that although these individuals yield substantial power and influence in the affairs of the world, their authority pales in comparison to that of Jesus Christ. In other words, what are we saying here? We're saying that I don't care who's the president, and I don't care whether you like or don't like the president, that president is under the authority and under the power of Jesus Christ. That his power trumps Trump, trumps Biden, trumps Bush, and every other president. I don't care who's on the Supreme Court, but the judge of all the world 
sits on a throne, and he is seated at the right hand of God, and he trumps all the power of all of that. Okay? At the time Paul was writing these words, we need to understand of the first century uh, of the church, first century A.D., this was a very dangerous and powerful statement to make, and Paul wrote it down anyway. Because the Roman political figures were actively persecuting the church and attempting to suppress the message of the gospel. But Paul wanted his readers, he wanted us in the 21st century also to understand that no matter what authority or politician might have or try to exert over the church of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ has a rank that was even higher than the most powerful of human authorities. There's a lot of people... You see it online all over the place, people buying into all kinds of conspiracy theories, uh, all kinds of stuff, and they're worried about the government just taking over, we're losing rights, and I do agree with some of that, but I can tell you no matter what happens in this world, in the realm of politics or in the courts, there is a judge, there is a, there is a power that is higher, that they have to bow his knee, and one day Paul tells the Philippians that every knee will bow and will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. I always appreciated, didn't always agree with everything with, well, with any evangelist or preacher. I'm sure there's some things you don't agree with me on, but you got to love me. Hey, I'm, he, I'm me. But uh, I, Oral Roberts, and Oral Roberts was a man of great faith. And even his ex-daughter-in-law who wrote a book, Expose, about her, the, the Roberts family, she said, somebody asked her, does Oral Roberts, does he, does he want political power? Is that why he's always... You know, he could, he could probably be elected to public office in Oklahoma. He could probably be a senator. He could, and she said, you don't understand Oral Roberts. I know Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts does not crave political power. He does not crave power in this world. Oral Roberts respects and craves the power of God to do the work of God. And I thought, that is a good statement. That's a good testimony to have. We need to crave the power that God has for us to accomplish what he has called us to do in this season of time. That's what we need to crave. God, give me your power to live for you, to be an example to the unbelievers. Give me the power to overcome my temptation of my sin. God, let me rise above those things that have defeated me in the past. God, give me a new start, and God, give me a fresh start. God, give me a fresh start to do what is right. I have the past where I've done things that are wrong. There's things in my life that I'm ashamed of to this day. But they're under the blood of Jesus Christ. He has forgiven me and cleansed me. He gave me the new start. I have the power of the new start. Christ is above all power or might, he says. And what does that mean? You know, the power of all might. Uh, the Greek word is dunamis. And, of course, you've heard that word before. It's explosive power, literally what it means. It's where we get the term uh, dynamite from. And he uses it to describe the full strength of military force. And by using this word, Paul declared that Jesus is an exalted in his authority and power, even above all the military forces of the world today. And I think that is true. Old Testament, New Testament, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen, when God sent Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of the, uh, under the, out of the power of the most powerful monarch on the planet, the most powerful military on the planet, which was Egypt at that time, God didn't sit around and wring his hands and wonder if he was going to be powerful enough to do it. Pharaoh in his arrogance thought he had the authority, but God says, no, you don't understand. You need, you're going to be humbled because I'm the one who has the authority over all the powers on earth. He made this statement. Paul was, uh, was, was, was saying that God's power is 
incredibly explosive above even the most powerful military on the planet. And fourthly, in that verse, it talks about dominions. Christ is supreme over all dominions. And it could refer to any of the world system, whether political, financial, or system of any type. There simply is no system more high-ranking than that of Jesus Christ. Jesus, or Paul declared that Jesus was Lord over all, that umbrella over all. He is literally superior to all the rulers, the elected officials, uh, military powers, and constitutional authorities. He is literally Lord of all. Christ, Rick Renner says this, and I love this, Christ is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the blessed and only potentate. He's the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one, the Lamb of God, the glory of God, the Word of God, the only begotten of the Father, Emmanuel, Son of Man, Son of God, wonderful Counselor, everlasting Father, the power of God, the wisdom of God, the only wise God, the Prince of Peace, Redeemer, Chief Shepherd, Great Shepherd of the sheep, Great High Priest, Universal and Supreme Head over all the church. He is God. God in the flesh, and He's our Lord and our Savior. Somebody say amen. Secondly, uh, the right hand of God is a place of accomplishment. Hebrews 10, 12 says this, but our high priest, notice our high priest, referring to Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for a year, like the Old Testament said. No, good for all time. Once he offered himself as a sacrifice of sins, his blood was shed. It covers sin for all times, not just covers, but washes away, not just from the memory of God, but from the books in heaven that record our sins. Once for all forgiven. They don't ever come back to bite you in the end. The only time they come back to you is when somebody in this life reminds you of what you used to do. And them, sometimes the enemy whispers in your ear or he riles somebody up to accuse you and remind you of your past. But listen, I heard an old preacher say years ago, it's still good for today. When the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Okay, he's going to burn in the eternal lake that burns with fire and brimstone for eternity. And after he did this, after he forgave our sins for all times, he then sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of God. The idea of Christ sitting down, literally, implying, as a high priest especially, implying, is implying that his work is finished. When Jesus died on the cross, what did he say? One of his last words, it is finished. The plan of salvation is done. It is finished. The prior verse, uh, verses 10 and 11 in Hebrews 10, the prior verse specifically referred to an Old Testament covenant priest in Judaism as standing, which contrasts and shows that their work was not done. When somebody gets done with their work, what do they do? They go sit down. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And I might say that when he stands up, all of heaven takes notice. Because when he's standing up, what is he doing? He turns to the Father and he says, uh, Lord, I want to I stand and, 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 and I want to petition for this person, whether it's Pastor Tim or uh, I've got a lot of prayers here from people at this Calvary Church in Marinette. There's a lot of thanksgiving going up, God. But there's, there's a lot of spiritual warfare going on. God, I petition you to send warrior angels to do battle. See, see, that's what happens. He, his work is done. 
when he stands up at the right hand of God, it's to intercede for us. The second image is of Christ's position at the right hand of God. And symbolically, this was the seat of ultimate honor and power, even in earthly kingdoms. But Christ is in the heavenly kingdom. And I can tell you again, as we said, the work of Christ and the work of the cross is finished. Sin has, not will be, but is defeated. Jesus, uh, when he was tempted in all points, like we are, and yet without sin, he was defeated, Satan. Satan is defeated. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Can I just tell you one of the most exciting things that I had uh, seen in Heaven's Gates, Hell's Fames, and it's a true uh, image of what really happened in real life when Christ was raised from the dead. Do you remember that image? You remember Satan's up here and he's bragging and he's having the demons bow down to him and worship him and we killed him. There's no redemption. There's no forgiveness of sins. There, you remember what happened? Is uh, Mike who played Jesus did a great job, by the way, didn't he? That he comes back from the back and what is he doing? He's pointing right at him. And I just love that. Man, I got thrilled when I, every night when I saw that. And he's coming at him and Satan does this. No, no, I killed you. You're dead. See, that's, that's really a true image of what happened. Jesus raised, was raised from the dead, victorious over death and hell. And I'm telling you, it's a powerful thing. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested, John tells us in 1 John 1.8. Why was he manifest? So that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus rose from the dead to destroy the works of the devil. I, I say here, the word, uh, the word destroy in this verse is taken from the Greek word lao, which means, refers to an act, listen to this, the act of untying or unloosing something. It's the same word that was used when Jesus said to his disciples before he was crucified, before the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, Palm Sunday, he says, go and unloose the colt untie him and bring him to me. And it's the same word that was used there. And literally what this means to destroy is this, is, is I want you to go and untie and unloose something. And it used in classical Greek literature to refer to people being delivered or released or freed from difficulties, burdens, or needs. Multitudes of people in this world today are held hostage, listen, held hostage in their minds by the devil. There's even children of God, people who are saved, who have bought into the lie and are coming into agreement with what the devil accuses them ever wants them to do. You'll never be able to overcome this. I'll have you snared until you die. You might think you're going to heaven, but you're not. And we are taken captive in our mind by the things that we allow to parade through there, the thoughts that go through there. And when Jesus talks about, in the Word of God, when he's in 1 John 1, 8, I came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy the lies and the deceptions that have people bound up in their minds and their emotions. He came to snap that like a twig and break that bondage and set people free. People are being held captive in their minds and emotions like slaves and prisoners and detainees who are under arrest and live at the mercy of their conqueror. But Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil in you. Somebody says, I have this temptation, just comes to me all the time. I have dreams about things like this. You know, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. You need to appropriate by faith, believing and asking and then receiving for that deliverance from you. If that means you go for counseling, you go to the healing ministry, you take a, uh, a living free class that we're offering, I mean, whatever it is, you learn 
from the Word of God, the promises of God, and the promises of God are yes and amen, that they will set you free. Amen? You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. That's part of the destroying of the things that Satan binds us with. Jesus came to untie and unloosen Satan's binding powers over us. In fact, he tells us that we have the power to bind on earth. It'll be bound in heaven, loose on earth, loosed in heaven. The authority of the believer. We can, uh, through the power of Christ, demonic shackles that held people captive can be unraveled and broken by the power of God. Satan does not want the children of God to understand the authority that we have in his name. We need to step out and exercise that power. Rick Renner says this, that 1 John 3, 8, it actually could be taken to mean this, coming from the original language, and it's up here on your screen. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might untie people from all the works of the devil, unraveling Satan's hold on them until the devil's works in people's lives are utterly destroyed and his hostages are set free. I don't know about you, but I was a hostage. See? And Jesus came along and he broke and untied me and set me free. The other thing is, is that death is defeated. What is his accomplishments? He defeated death and the grave. Death is swallowed up in victory, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 55. He says this, O grave, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? You have no power. Your power has been broken by the cross. I love that, don't you? Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 6 through 9 says this, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us with, even when we were dead, say dead, we were dead in trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, far above rule, principality, and power. We're seated with the king. He's at the right hand of God. We are seated with him in heavenly place, spiritual realms. That's a place of honor too, isn't it? Thirdly, uh, it's a place at the right hand of God uh, of, the adv- of the advocate. Advocate, And we think of advocate. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back as I'm finishing. First uh, John 2, 1 says this, My little children, these things I write to you so that, notice that, so that, this is the reason I'm writing, so that you may not sin. See, He delivered us and set us free from the power of sin. He washed away our sin. He wants us to be free from the practice of sin. And he said, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have an advocate. An advocate I think of as an attorney for the defense. And the attorney for the defense is none other than Jesus Christ, attorney at law. One day he'll be the judge. But he's our advocate at this point. He who was sinless and offered a sinless sacrifice on the cross is also our advocate with the Father. He is at his right hand to intercede for us. And the Greek word for advocate literally means, as used in the Gospel of John, as a reference to the Holy Spirit, that he is our advocate. He's the one who comes alongside of us to help, the paraclete. 
He comes alongside of us to help. I don't know about you, but when I go through difficult times, when I don't have the wisdom to know what to do, when I'm having trouble that I don't know how to handle, I have a problem I can't solve, I call on the Holy Spirit to come alongside me because God promised, Jesus promised, that the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you into all truth, that He will give you wisdom when you ask for it. James says, ask in faith believing. Amen? If you need wisdom, He gladly gives it to those who call on Him. This word literally means one who pleads a case on someone else's behalf or, close, or a close, helpful advisor. He is both that. I tell you that if I had any difficulty with the law and I was given, listen, uh, a, an arrest warrant for something that I did, I would, whether I was innocent or guilty, I would hire the best attorney I could find to plead my case to prove my innocence, to defend me before the judge and the jury. And Jesus is that advocate. In this verse, when Jesus called us an advocate, he was with God the Father. He is the Christ, meaning the anointed one, and he is the righteous one. And John, as he writes this, emphasizes that it is the greatness of Jesus as well. He also highlights the sufficiency of Christ over all sin, and his role as advocate on our behalf before the Father. I have Jesus, I do, Tim Hawthorne, personally have Jesus, the Son of God, who is seated at the right hand of God. And when I call on him and I pray and I'm in trouble, he stands up and turns to the Father and says, can you help him out, God? He really needs help. Somebody on earth said, amen, he needs help. We all need help, don't we? Some, some of you here and some watching by live stream are going through an incredible, trying times, difficulty. Some of you here, I know most of you here, and I know that I, I, I've known that you have lost loved ones that have broken your heart. Some are still grieving, and I don't think we ever really get over fully our grief, but we get comforted with the knowledge that when we trust Christ, we'll see them again. But we have the help of the Comforter. We have the help of God. And He sends people sometimes our way to help us and to encourage us. You know, how many times have I heard people say that I had a need and somebody from the church, I don't know who it was, but they dropped off something. I've heard stories of people who felt prompted, and my wife and I have done this, to drop off a couple of sackfuls of groceries and sneak into the parking lot and put them in somebody's car because they're going through a hard time. Why did we do that? Because the advocate, because the, uh, the Father through the Spirit prompted us to help someone out of their need because they were crying out and the advocate went to their defense before the Father and the Father said, I think I'll have Tim and Donna do this or I think I'll have Pastor Mike do this or I think I'll have Brother Nick and, uh, and Pastor Nick and Jill do this, or somebody else, lay people. You know, it's lay people. We call on him. He hears us. See, that's what he does. That's what he does. Would you bow your heads in prayer? Father, we thank you that you are an incredible God. We thank you, Jesus, that you are at the right hand of God in the place of authority over all the kingdoms and all of the principalities, the powers of all the political powers, all the armies of the world. 
Lord, and, and you are in an incredible place of the things that you have accomplished because of your death, burial, and resurrection, the things that you are still accomplishing through the ministry and by the power of the Holy Spirit working through your people, the church. And Lord, we thank you that you are at the right hand of God. You are our advocate before the Father, pleading our case and praying for us. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you that your Holy Spirit was given to the church so that we might have power to be your witnesses, so that we might have power to agree together in prayer, so that the Holy Spirit might pray through us to you who prays to the Father for us. And Lord, we pray today in the authority of the name of Jesus, and we pray for those that are hurting today, those that are struggling through a season of difficulty and anguish. God, our brothers, our sisters in Christ, Lord, not just in this church, but throughout the world. We think of the Afghan Christians who are facing persecution, torture, and death. Oh, God, remember them. They've called upon your name for salvation. We ask that you take authority over the evil spirits that are dominating that land. Oh, God, we pray. And Father, our people here today, to call on your name for help in a time of need. We pray you would meet us today at the altar as we agree together in prayer for them and for one another. Show up, God, and let your power be manifest to do great and mighty things. We ask you in Jesus' name, amen.